At one point or another in life, if you're not very careful, you will probably find yourself associated with a school play. This is especially true if you are in school, as I was at some indistinct point between the 80s and 90s when Culpeper Christian Elementary and middle school staged a Christmas musical about a family who went somewhere or other for Christmas but forgot to bring presents and learned in the end that the presents were not as important as they thought. Now the weird thing is that I forget how I was involved. I'm pretty sure I wasn't acting in the play, which means I was either in the choir or band. I remember singing or maybe just hearing the song several times and can to this day repeat the lyrics from such notable pieces as you can't have Christmas without presents and Christmas is a time to love. As far as I can remember, this play taught us basically the same thing we would have learned if we had stayed home and watched Garfield's Christmas or National Lampoon's Christmas on TV albeit with fewer good jokes and a Jesus-y veneer that justified the whole endeavor to the well-meaning and patient adults behind the curtain and in the audience. And they say Christians don't suffer for their art. All that to say, it is interesting how anti-consumerist most Christmas movies, specials, songs, plays, rock operas, and other productions tend to be. Christmas, they all maintain, is not about gifts, it's about people. And that sort of sentiment coming around this time of year would be absolutely lovely and meaningful and welcome if we didn't all know in our heart of hearts that it was completely wrong. Christmas is about presents. There, I said it. Now let me explain. The choice between loved ones and presents is a false choice. This is because gifts, when they work the right way, reinforce bonds between people. This doesn't mean that they are more important than the people who give them to you, or even that Christmas is chiefly a time in which you are showered with all the stuff you want. In fact, a big part of what we want to do with this project is to empower people to make their Christmas less consumerist and more meaningful. The choice isn't really between stuff and people, but between giving and not giving. Even in A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge isn't condemned for being greedy so much as for being a miser. He wants to hoard his money. To spend it on gifts and receive gifts in turn is to become vulnerable to others and to spend time and resources on relationships rather than self-determination. That is the first part of a reflection from Twelve Tide, The Twelve Days of Christmas Recovering a Season of Giving, Feasting, and Reflection by Chris and Glencora Pipkin. I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. Welcome to the Inklings Variety Hour, where fans and scholars of C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Charles Williams, Owen Barfield, and others discuss their works and lives. I'm Chris Pipkin, resident Yuletide expert, and... <laughs> With me today, I actually have my own dear wife, Glencora Pipkin, and we have a special surprise for you. One of the original co-hosts of the show, Annika Smith, will be OG. here. OMG. <laughs> will be here interviewing Glencora and I about our new book, Twelve Tide which is about celebrating the 12 days of Christmas. So Annika, so good to see you. Thank oh, you for so agreeing to, to host. You, Chris. Thank you so much for letting me come back. I feel like the prodigal returning. It's really nice. <laughs> 
Well, once an Inklings Variety Hour host, always an Inklings Variety Hour host. Just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. Thank you for, for letting me come on. I'm really grateful. I didn't know you wanted to do the podcast, but I went ahead and bought 10 copies of this book that you Whoa, and Glenn Cora so put together. I've been handing it out for Christmas gifts to to friends and family, especially to those who like to live liturgically. And it it's just really beautiful, A of all. You've done a fine job with the art. And it's also, it's the sort of thing you like to give because it gives someone not just something pretty, but also something to think and to to help them move along with, right? Like it's a, it's a help, not quite in the same way as a sacrament, but with pointing to the sacraments and I, I just love it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Annika. That's amazing. Really? What a, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, so we're coming out here. We just finished Thanksgiving as we're recording, which is kind of like a, a secular Sabbath where everything halts for a minute and the storage are closed. Then you start thinking about living in time and with these liturgical rhythms. And I would love to hear from you all, how did the 12 Tide, first it started as a website, like more than five years ago now, right? You've been doing this for a while. Yeah. How did you come up with this concept? Yeah. Well, we didn't, but we, we also kind of did. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, really it started out when our first son, who's now 10, was very small. I can't remember if he was two or three or, or what, but we just realized that he'd be getting quite a few gifts in one day. He mm -hmm. probably would not care about half of them because they'd be overshadowed by one or two really big ones. And yeah, it just, it just occurred to us also that we were getting, you know, as, as parents of small children often are stressed about Christmas coming up, stressed about getting everything in time. And for some reason, I don't, I honestly, I don't remember exactly where it was that I heard about this. We were getting into Anglicanism at the time. Dangerous thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Glencora had, had grown up Catholic, but there wasn't a ton of. Well, um, not a lot of resources online. In her, in her upbringing about like celebrating 12 days of Christmas, yeah. although they sell, they did a, a great deal more of that than, than I ever did growing up. And yeah, it just kind of occurred to us, hey. Why don't we just give a gift every day for 12 days instead of piling them all on to one day and feeling like we were failures? We'd been like Christmas failures that year if <laughs> you know people were disappointed or somebody didn't get something they wanted or didn't get everything in time or or whatever else. And so we started just kind of giving a gift to each other and to you know our, our son every day. And sometimes it wasn't like a present sort of gift, like something that we bought, but sometimes it would be like something that we made or, mm -hmm. you know, a special event or something like that. And we would kind of, you know, find a different verse to read, a different carol, a different prayer to pray. Gradually, we realized that this was a really worthwhile way to celebrate Christmas. So we did a website and now we've sort of converted the website into a book, really the better part of a decade later. And, and you know, we just want to share with other people something that's worked really well for us and maybe parts of it work for 
them and and other parts not and and whatever else but this is you know it's it's basically a christmas resource book rather than us trying to like guilt people into doing christmas the right way or something <laughs> like that but but yeah i kind of grabbed a hold of that question yeah what do you want to say yeah i was gonna say we just wanted to kind of take away the like super consumerist bent on christmas and really try to amplify how it's a time of of deep meaning. I think Chris and I, for the past like four years, have been reading, maybe it's four, the Malcolm Geitz Advent poems. And that's been so enriching for our Advents. And we want, we kind of wanted to do something similar where we're like, you know, Christmas is really supposed to be an enriching season. And what is it like? Both of us are teachers. Having a great conversation about beautiful things is as good as a feast sometimes. And we wanted to do that through the Christmas season. So we thought it would be, I don't know, you know, that'd be a good idea to share that with people. Oh, I'm I'm so glad you did. I've been doing the the website for I think since like 2015. Is that when you guys launched the the site? Probably. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and, and sharing it with with friends I know who do it. When I have uh, several friends with small small children, and I appreciate that the options range for for things that young adults who live on their own to older families to younger families can do together and kind of pick and choose that there's not that you must do all of these things, but it's here are here's the scaffolding and some options. And here are ways where you might build for traditions for your own family. Uh, that's, that's really lovely. Christmas is such a time of, it's that round of the rhythm of something recurring and being very special and significant, which brings memory into it. And for so many of us, the the Christmas we remember, it's the really good Christmases growing up when you're a kid. And then if you've had any pain or lost someone or had someone in the hospital at Christmas time, like that's the, the other sort of touchstone. And so building these more, I mean, the holidays feel kind of more mundane once you're at a certain age and point in life, even with children around you, it can be like, Oh, that's great. Okay. (laughs) To have these, ways of building that meaning and connecting back to, especially to the biblical story and to the lives of the saints. It's, as you said, Glencora, it's enriching and it can be as good as a feast to to feast your soul on something truly beautiful and eternal. It's also interesting, we've, I feel like there's been a shift and maybe it's just like so many of us coming to an Anglican tradition or another more liturgical tradition from a non-liturgical tradition that we grew up in. So Glencora, your story might be a little different because you grew up Catholic and had more of this understanding of Advent is the time for fasting, right? And it's the time of, of denial and and preparing our hearts to to await the coming of Christ and and the apocalypse, which is awesome. And I th- there's a lot of there's a lot that's attractive about that in a society that values discipline and self-control and self-improvement. Fasting can also be like 
part of your new diet plan or your new, they're like these, I don't know if you've seen, there's some of these programs where they do like Exodus 90. Have you heard of that one? Yep. Definitely heard about it. (laughs) Which is, I mean, awesome props to everybody, but like, there's, there's this like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to fast and be hardcore. We're going to do this, this season. Right. And that's, awesome and very countercultural, but then Christmas hits. And I remember feeling like, okay, well now we get to sing the songs, but no one wants to sing the songs anymore because Christmas music has been played out. And how do we, how do we feast for 12 solid days? What does it look like? And how can we reorder feasting? So it's not a big binge that just makes you sick for 12 days, (laughs) but it's actually this, long, leisurely, contemplative time of meditating on God's goodness. And I I think this book really helps do that. I'm so excited for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean to to tie it to to tie it to the inklings, you know, yes. one one of the one of the Lewis essays is is called Gosh. It's called Xmas versus yes. Christmas or something. I, I forget the title actually, but but he talks about it's this it's this goofy letter written in the style of a Greek historian, you know, who's traveled to the strange land of Britain and noticed that they they celebrate two overlapping feasts. One is called Xmas and one is called Christmas and that you know in in the one they send each other. Christmas cards with pictures of things on it that aren't particularly religious and they give each other things and feel guilty for not sending the right people Christmas cards or send you Christmas cards. And you can see a lot of Lewis's annoyance with, you know, just basic social customs coming out. <laughs> but and the other is Christmas where they celebrate the birth of Jesus. And, you know, and, and, and this requires a kind of fasting and a kind of solemnity that's mm-hmm. absent from Xmas. And I don't think, I don't think we're quite as hardline as, as Lewis is in that, you know, about it. What, what we, what we kind of say is, look, it's, it's probably not possible to avoid some Christmas celebration during the month of December without being a jerk, right? <laughs> like, like without, you know, sort of making people think that you're like Scrooge or or too holy or, or, or something like that. Although like, again, if you're, if, if you feel very much called not to indulge with any of your friends in anything during the month of December, go for it, more power to you. But yeah, what we tell people is try to keep yourself from uh, indulging too much in Christmas as soon as the Halloween decorations come down or, or something like that, right? But but rather make the celebration of Christmas itself as a feast, a sort of discipline, right? Where mm-hmm. it takes it takes discipline to to fast during the month during Advent, but also takes discipline to feast from yes. December the evening of December 24th, all the way to January 6th, which is, which is epiphany, which is when traditionally the, the last 
day of Christmas has been celebrated or, or, you know, Twelfth Night, the night before Epiphany, as when the last day of Christmas, which was really like historically, that was their biggest celebration. Right yes. was 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 Twelfth Night the the biggest Christmas celebration. So we usually we usually reserve one of the biggest gifts for our kids, for example, for that night, and we'll have like a a Twelfth Night party with our church and and things like that. But but yeah, it's a it's a it's a discipline also to to feast in a way that's you know that that's not just kind of dissipated or in a way that its meaning doesn't depend on your feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's so, so good. So that yeah. like, you know, we, we have these, I mean, there's music in every department store about the feeling of Christmas and <laughs> Hallmark movies that we may or may not watch, you know, and, and, and possibly an ironic way, but possibly not as well, you know, and, and, and so much of it comes down to it's Christmas just go with whatever we're feeling is the right thing mm-hmm. to go with or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Um, and Oh, I like that. So it, it makes the, the discipline, I mean, not, it's not just countercultural cultural in the timing, right. Of we, we fast in Advent, we feast in Christmas starting and it doesn't start until December 24th, not black Friday or whatever, but it's also the discipline of, Regardless of your feelings, this isn't about the warm fuzzies. This is about uh, a holy solemnity yes. and and rejoicing yeah. and the command to rejoice, which I, I love that you yes. got into in the book. Oh, <laughs> sorry, we that's have, that's no. Arthur weighing in. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right, and that like comes in kind of. You can definitely tell, but towards the end of the book, we sort of hone that in a few times where we were like, guess what? You're still feasting, even though it feels really gray outside. And that's a big part of it is trying to not always associate feasting with how you feel mm-hmm. that it, that it, in some ways it's a, it, like you're saying, it's a more solemn thing. If you can, you know, and yeah, that solemn doesn't always have to mean something that's grave or sad, but that it's holy. And... Yes. Yeah. So, it, it, like yeah. C.S. Lewis gets into that so well when he talks about that. Is it? I think it's in Narnia where he's talking about how they were happy, but it was. It it seems it's something like in talking about their their clothes as well that they're the most beautiful clothes are also the most comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, don't that's... look silly the way the ours do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and their their happiest is also, in some ways, the most solemn of the feast. Is also the the deepest joy and the it's probably in the weight of glory. It's it's merriment, and there can be something solemn and serious in that, but that it doesn't mean it's dour or mm-hmm. it's it's a duty, but it's a a joyful duty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes into that in Preface to Paradise Lost as well, where he talks about the word solemne and and that it's that, that, that solemnity is not being a Puritan, right? But it's, it's celebrating things in a, you know, in, in a, in a way that is not averse to pageantry and, and pomp in, in the best sense of the, of the word, but, but that doesn't mean that it's not 
serious as well because those mm-hmm. things what what we're used to doing in the modern world is contrasting those things so much right where where you can't be sincere if there's an outward show and and if you are really sincere like Linus's pumpkin patch it can't be an outward show but you know historically the way those things have worked is is one has helped the other they they work in tandem and you certainly can have an outward show that lacks inward seriousness but but we recognize that as as being as being wrong right or or or, or not quite all that it that it could be right mm-hmm. so yeah. so yeah and, and like to the other thing that you're saying uh, yeah viewing feasting as as a kind of discipline it sounds really like kind of you know it's like come on man just like enjoy christmas for crying out loud <laughs> but uh, the the other side of that like we don't we really don't want to harsh anyone's christmas buzz right but the more you make Christmas about just how you feel and just being around family and the people you love, the more exclusively Christmas belongs only to people who are already happy. Yes. And, yes. And, and it not can't the be a thing that uplifts, yeah, yeah. that uplifts anyone who's not already like got family and already excited to be with, with their special loved ones or whatever else. And that's just not, it's, it's it's not really Christmas if it's just for if it's just for the people who are already in that you know kind of happy place. Yeah, uh, yeah. Arthur think, agrees. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like the second day of Christmas is the feast of Saint Stephen the Martyr, and that's that's you know just the second day we're like start doing some service if you if you'd like. I think it's a great idea to, to give your post office worker a gift, right? And we have those kind of throughout where you're we're sort of like part of celebrating is maybe service to other people because that's what like that actually is that is a feel good thing but it's a it's a it's not just like a consumerist like I got this thing and it's so great it's it's really thinking about other other people uh, as well there are other days that we're talking about thinking about the marginalized and it's a that is part of uh, feasting in the the community of Christians yeah I I love Lots of, I mean, there's of course Christmas and Christmas Eve, but then you know the feast of of the Holy Innocence and the the weight of Scripture and the jarring nature of going from here is here is Christ come into our world, light unto the Gentiles, and here is great injustice and horrors of death and war and forces of darkness that seem to prevail. And I I love how that's woven in into the liturgical calendar naturally. And that gets highlighted really nicely in the book. Well done. Thank you. Uh, Um, And Glencore wrote the devotional to to that one. And it's it's wonderful. Yeah. And also a, a place for recognizing the the mourning with those who mourn and uh, Christmas is lovely for families. It's also a hard place when you've had a miscarriage or loss in your family or some other grief. I thought that was well handled and thank you. I do, there's something you said a, a second ago, Chris, about community and the communal nature, which I think living liturgically requires community. And so it was really hard during the lockdowns and pandemic times doing these sorts of celebrations um, because we didn't have that reinforcement 
that can help you when you don't have your feelings. Like when you wake up Sunday morning and you may, might not feel like praising God, but you know, I am going to go to church and I'm going to worship and receive the sacrament can get you just having that body, that congregation can get you where you need to go spiritually when your heart isn't maybe in it. And I love that there, that we have as a church, not just this community in, in space, but also this community in time and history and how much like your, your gifts as, as a medievalist come out in this book of pulling out some, not only great works in the public domain, but also great traditions and things lots of us haven't heard of. And it reminded me of, do you know Eleanor Parker? The She's a medievalist. She, she used to have the Clerk of Oxford blog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She has a great book on the Anglo-Saxon year, and I'm forgetting what it's called. She's- yeah, I'm forgetting one of my one of my favorite podcasts has had her on the and then I'm forgetting the name of that podcast. So never mind. But <laughs> clear, clearly, clearly a, a big favorite risking enchantments has had yes. her on. And yeah, and then she sounds like a yeah, yeah, seems, seems very wise and, and brilliant as well. Yeah. And knowing how these feasts have been celebrated and connecting to an older place, even just bringing in the Shakespeare and the the plays and the the poetry and all the the works referenced are such great jumping off points. I wondered if if either of you has a, a favorite that you have remembered from years past or that got brought into the book. You mean like a favorite piece of literature? Yeah, or, or practice. Um... Like, or a surprising practice that you're like, oh, I didn't know they did that on this day. You go first, Chris. Oh man, I was going to say you go first. Uh, (laughs) I mean, for me, honestly, the, the most enjoyable aspect, backtracking just a little bit to what you said. Thank you for, for saying that. Really, I I see it as a, as a big part of what I do, whether I'm, you know, a, a professor or, or doing writing or podcasting or whatever else is to bring people together, not just who are still alive, but also, you know, people from the present and the past and have them be able to like, kind of, you know, talk to each other and, and influence each other. And one of the things that I really want to see happen with this book is to allow people who get it to use their own sort of sense of creativity to inspire them to create new Christmas traditions, but to create them in dialogue with existing Christmas traditions that have been, you know, going on for centuries, even though in the past century or so, a lot of them have been forgotten. So I really love the third day of Christmas when, I mean, I really love actually thinking through all the gifts. Like that's super fun for me because it gives me a kind of template as I'm like, as I'm thinking about what, because I mean, the truth is there is, there's planning involved with this. I think in some ways it would be easier to just say, no, we're not, we're not going to plan anything during the kids are home. We're just going to like do whatever, like we're just going to veg out. And I will say every year that we have that we've done like, well, let's plan this one thing that has to do with this day. It's been so beneficial. It's been really Mm. a blessing to our family, but I will say it really helps 
me sort of decide that Christmas isn't only about like getting the kids what they want, like them writing a list out and being like, okay, you're going to get everything on your list, but rather it's going to have to do a little bit more with some of the things that we think are good for them. And, and there's certainly things like, like Virginia, my middle one is into American girl dolls since she'll probably get an American girl doll for her, for, but that's not one of the days, you know, that's not a theme for one of the 12 days of Christmas, right? It's not American girl doll day, but, but it's helpful when you have, you know, like the third day of Christmas is about John, the gospel writer and thinking through how to his, the gospel of light, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're thinking through kind of thematically there. And I, I love, I love doing that every year. That is super fun yeah yeah and generally there's a that they do a light thing at the i forget i don't know remember what the technical term is but a, a light it's not a light show but it's like we put a bunch of lights up in the botanical garden you know and then feel free to buy tickets and so we go we, we went anyway last year with with our family on the on the third day of christmas and, oh. and made that our present which was which was just great but one of the one of the things that I that I enjoy doing most are, are really some of the old carols. And Mary sweet Jesus Christ to be There's just such a rich storied reservoir of great Christmas carols that Bing Crosby has kind of given us cultural amnesia about, so that for like for oh, us, don't the, don't blame Bing. Yeah, I mean nothing against Good Bing job, Crosby. Uh, yeah, <laughs> delightful music and all of that, but it's really not old music, right? It's really from like the mid mid twentieth century. And no, it's, it's post war Americana. Yeah, and it's happy and and fun and and all and peppy and all that sort of thing. And there are little sleigh bells and and whatnot, but it's not. It, it's not the same type of music as a lot of the carols that 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 are that are much older. sing and some of the ones that are really well known but then you go further back to early modern and medieval times yes um, or uh, you know uh, we we mentioned Adam uh, yeah Adam Leibundin We mentioned the 
fourth day of Christmas, where we remember the Holy Innocents, and that's got the Coventry Carol as one of the mm-hmm. suggested carols, right? which I'd always thought for a long time growing up when I had heard that, which was very rarely, the sort of like, la 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 lee, thou little tiny child, Herod the king in his raging. I thought that that was like Mary singing to Jesus, but it's not. It's one of the mothers who was deprived of an infant singing after the infant's been killed by by Herod. And it's incredibly poignant and, and to bring that in line with the number of, you know, the number of the, of women in the pre-modern world who lost infants, right? Like incredibly meaningful, incredibly evocative. So, so all the way from that, those sorts of poignant carols to, you know, the boar's head and hand have I bedecked with bay and rosemary. The boar's head and hand bear I bedecked with bays and rosemary. And I pray you my masters be merry, Podestas in convivio. And just this goofy, you know, sort of. Have you ever heard it sung like at a lessons and carols or like the the caroling that happens before midnight mass at a big cathedral? We heard it. Didn't we hear Chris? We heard it at a like the Shakespeare theater. Uh huh. Didn't we? I think so. I think so. Yeah, we went to the was it, is it no is it the Shakespeare Theater that's downtown and in, in Capitol Hill? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Folger. The Folger. Yep. We heard it at the yep. Folger. They had a show um, yeah. where yeah, they had like a bunch a of Renaissance carols. Early modern Christmas uh, sort of sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say you know, with that, my favorite old tradition is to do Twelfth Night, and we have we have a ton of sort of old practices that we suggest and whether whether it's wassail right which is uh, a certain kind of drink that people traditionally have had on 12th night to to games like snapdragon where you douse a bunch of raisins raisins with a another special kind of drink and then light it on fire <laughs> and, and then you try to pick the raisins out but but yeah it's having having a 12th night party is is so much fun and it's it's really been sort of a meaningful thing for us and our, our community to to be able to do. But but yeah, mainly really the practice of teaching our kids a carol, you know, a different one each of the 12 days and just kind of like occasionally singing it, you know, throughout that day. And, and we, we really like made it. I mean, like it wasn't this like I feel like with our kids from the beginning we didn't make it this like really long thing it was like okay we're gonna pray we're gonna give presents we're you know like we'll talk about a little maybe a minute or or two because they're they were little and then we would sing the carols and and so it wasn't this like heavy ask and so our kids at this point are really used to it which yeah. has been good, you know, they, they expect it and, and they're anticipating it. They're looking forward to all 12 days. Oh, it is hard to feast. Yeah, yeah it's, it's super hard because we just like what we imagine of feasting is just buying a bunch of crap and giving each other that and then eating too much food. But it's not like, 
eat like we know what a good feast is it's like yes. sitting at a table and having a great conversation and, and and probably involves like having some drinks that sounds great you know but it's like connecting with people you know yeah. and yeah. my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness yep. right yeah. like yeah. my soul is satisfied yeah your soul yeah. is satisfied that's yeah right. that's right so i mean buying buying stuff is just like a is it's almost <laughs> it can be a way to, to, to help satisfy us. Like it can be a, an avenue to, to say, I love you and to connect with someone, but it's like, to think that's, that's what Christmas is, is so bland. Um, yes. Hello. Yes. And there's that act of stewardship. And I think one of your reflections, uh, Chris, you talked about gift giving and how Christmas oh. is about gifts yeah. in the sense of it's about, considering um, the gifty it's about the time and the attention it takes and i i love that the intentionality of attending to another person whether it's by by listening by knowing what their needs are by knowing what they would really respond to and desire and what would awaken desire in them for christ too ultimately yeah. which is the the overflowing of joy that the feast is all about. Yeah. I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's this, there's this, you know, very cliched sort of Christmas plot where the family loses all the presents and then yep. like, we can't have Christmas. And then they're like, Oh no, but Christmas is our hearts the whole time because right. we have each other and we're all happy. We're making blah, blah. Christmas um, from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And like, we had uh, a, there were, there were like several eighties and nineties Christmas plays where it was uh -huh. like little homeless kids like, and we would get dressed up for the church Christmas pageant as if we were homeless. It's super inappropriate. Then. <laughs> <laughs> but we had great songs about But it how... was the 80s, so chances were we were already dressed like that anyway. Oh, um, snap it down. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, especially especially in church culture, but uh, yeah. Fair. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, we, you know, and that's, that's like great and everything but it's also the the point of the point of presence in the first place is to is to give right and to yes. and to forge forge connections yes. with one another and and part of what you have when a culture can make things so easily and cheaply in an assembly line kind of way is the connection with another person that a gift has really historically been able to forge can tend to get lost because it's just more stuff that yeah. you want and you feel, you know, you feel this like faux sense of spiritual fulfillment in getting stuff without a, you know, without a, a, a person that, mm. that, that stuff ties you to mm. and 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 part of part of what you know we want to see happen is that it's not necessarily that you like make everything you give to somebody like that's not really practical but but it is that you you spend time really focusing on consciously giving something to someone and, and realizing that our gifts to each other do tie us to each other and ultimately back to Christ because he's the, he's the one 
from whom all gifts proceed. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Arthur, Arthur oh, fingers. Yes. Glencora, I was curious because you you grew up uh, in a very Catholic family and you grew up in a more Catholic area that had liturgical rhythms like this sort of woven in where we were in New Orleans uh, on January 6th uh, a couple years ago and it kicked off Mardi Gras, for example, like it was the first of the parades was the Joan of Arc parade marching down right right outside our restaurant which was oh, so that. cool that's so um funny. and bringing in like the light like they had these little light votives that they were handing out to people and it was just so sweet and such a party and i love there's something about that communal experience of of the parades of the marking time of okay now it's mardi gras until we hit ash wednesday and then it's lent for everybody and the lent menu is in all the restaurants yeah. and yeah we're we're used to you not ordering meat now yeah yeah everybody's <laughs> aware of it it's not a secret right yeah and i i just wonder if you had any memories of of doing anything 12 tightish growing up or or seeing something like this around you or if it was kind of like a big still December 25th uh, you yeah know, it's funny I mean I'd say there's probably some Catholic families in in Louisiana that may do that may have some real structure around the 12 days I'd say most Catholics didn't. We knew that we knew what it, we did to celebrate Epiphany and we always celebrated. That was like the beginning of King Cake season. So we knew Yes. That. But we didn't. Yeah. I mean, and again, like I, I don't want to downplay my, my, my own religious education. I know I knew of the 12 days. The other thing that's interesting is that like, like growing up Catholic, there is a feast day for every single day. So you're yeah. essentially kind of like tapping into that. But I think the big thing was Epiphany. And that was, and again, it had, as a kid, I just remember how cool it was to eat king cake. And I still feel like that's pretty cool. But yeah. And like Louisianans are just good at a party. Like they love to party. So any excuse for it, they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll do it, uh, which is great. I miss that culture. Um, I feel like everybody could, could use a little bit of Louisiana in them, but yeah, yeah. And it wasn't anything like we're, you know, it wasn't the sort of thing that we're sort of trying to, to suggest in 12 Tide. Yeah. Yeah. You're not suggesting we all go to a Mardi Gras parade on January 6th and... <laughs> No, 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 no. That would be kind of cool, though, if if people had, you know, I mean, if it were it were much instead of being so countercultural that you had a lot of it were it were part of your culture where everybody was really celebrating the epiphany. It would yeah. it would be really special. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think we we mainly there's no way to recreate the past. That's not what we're trying to do. It's it's kind of impossible. 
But what we would like to do is to, I'm sorry, just interrupt to to recreate the past by like, by having a Christian culture where everyone's celebrating together, or is that what you're right? Yeah. But by, by trying to, or living medievally, what, yeah, what, whatever (laughs) happens, you know, from, from this point on, whether this practice becomes something that people do more of, which I would love. And then obviously we wouldn't be doing this. We didn't want that, but, but regardless what I, and, and, and what we want to see more of is as we, as we find ways to live faithfully, that we not ignore the contributions of of the past that we that we add to this tapestry rather than just kind of trying to scrap it and 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 start all over again because there's a lot there that's so rich and that can that can be drawn on in in a creative way that isn't legalistic necessarily but but that maybe engages the whole human person a little bit more than than like we can often at least in the Protestant church be used to doing. And, you know, and I, I would, I would love to have like, you know, neighborhood, you know, epiphany parades or, or, or 12th night parades or, or whatever else that would be, that would be fantastic. I, I'm not, I'm not really thinking that's going to happen in my lifetime. But, uh, no, but it's great. Uh, I mean, you guys are already hosting a 12th night party yeah, for your church. Yeah. And so, I've been to, you had an Ascension party that was uh-huh. all bubbles and things that rise up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was full of of your community, and I, I mean, in 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 influencing and cultivating the the circles of influence you're given of of your family, of your community, your church on this local level, like this is this is society. This is these are the little platoons and it's meaningful and i like the the small scale sort of infiltration shall we say it's the only scale we can do Uh, (laughs) yeah so i mean the book is divided into really 14 sections because we do Christmas Eve as well as as well as Epiphany, kind of bookending the 12 days of Christmas. And each one has a, you know, basically a, a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. Although feel free to use one if you know you're Catholic or or, or you yeah. follow another tradition with prayers for specific days. Use yours. You, you do have uh, Catholic friends and family who mm-hmm. who use the book which is really neat. And I I also appreciate that the website currently has stuff for Advent as well yeah. um, as, as the resource to prepare before um, you open the, the physical book for Christmas. The website, by the way, everyone, in case you want to check that out, is www.12tide12tide.com. I think that's right, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, don't go. Don't type in. Don't type out twelve tide dot com. You will not get anything. Yeah, but confusingly, yeah. if you want to get the book, you do need to type out t w e l v e space t i d e in Amazon to find it. So, can, can you put the link in the show notes yes, or something? Yes, of course, of Great. course. Yeah, but but yeah. Th- so there's a prayer. It's followed by it's fo- followed by a reflection, either by me or Glencora. 
and some suggested activities that you can use as you feel led or add to as you feel led, some ideas for gift giving, a piece of literature, scripture suggestions for for that day. And, and then some journal prompts, which we don't have on the site. And the journal prompts were from a, a reader who was really excited and, and suggested, hey, would you guys, I'd really love to journal. Would you guys come up with some prompts? So that was mm-hmm. a good one to do. And I'm looking forward to maybe even, if I have a minute, actually writing some things this year. Yeah. Well, it's really sweet. I, I appreciate too, you, was it Hearthstone? You guys did this collection of of literature in the public domain and art that was really beautiful as like a, was that like a quarterly magazine? It was, it was yearly if ever. (laughs) (laughs) Quarterly, but it's, I, I love that these are your gifts of gathering and presenting to your friends and family, uh, these beautiful things. And I, that you are sharing especially literature and because what I am thinking and as, as I'm anticipating the holiday season and especially your talk on carols is holiday playlists and trying to come up with like, okay, what are the, what are the songs that get to this, this lesson, this reading, this particular feast? And I, I wonder too, what your other readers and listeners might bring whether of their own arts or if there's like baking or things that are more appropriate on certain days than others. It's, it's just fun to, to think about how one can contribute of one's own gifts and interests to this feast and the sharing and spreading of the feast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we really want, you know, as if, if readers have ideas and other traditions and things like that. Like we encourage them, like, please email us, you know, we'll, we'll give you credit for the idea, but you know, we'll at least put it up on the site. It's a, it's a collaborative thing. We are informed by the past as well as by creative things that people are doing now. And it's a community that has manifestations within particular spaces and and particular times, but also a community that spans space and time. I think something like this is so helpful in that countercultural sense. I I so appreciate you were the first person I ever heard it called secular Lent for the the New Year's season. The the countercultural way of of feasting through New Year's all the way to Epiphany. I just, I I appreciate the self-awareness you brought to writing about that difficulty of bridging the time between December and January where the light shifts and time shifts. And I think it might be the most challenging spiritual discipline that you don't expect is yeah. the the perseverance in feasting yeah. Um, yeah and praising god through rejoicing um so thank you thank you for the book yeah any other things you'd like to make a point on or share glencora 
No, just that, you know, hopefully it can bless people during their Christmas season, that it could be something fun. I mean, we really wanted it to be just kind of a companion to people's Christmas season, you know, where they can go like, oh, today's the second day. I'm curious what 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 it's about, you know, and so that they can learn and, and maybe do some things, but there's it's, there, it's not high pressure. It's mm-hmm. just really kind of an invitation. Yeah. Yeah, right on. I love that. Well, thank you both for this book. It's been a delight learning more about how how you came to write it, the lessons you have learned and gathered, and future lessons. I I do hope this continues to grow and be annotated and amplified throughout the next decade of 12 Tide. Thank you so much, Annika. Thank you for for coming back to, to host. I really appreciate it. Thank you, listeners. Fourth season is not here yet, but there will be there will continue to be occasional episodes, sometimes mostly having to do with the inklings, occasionally, as with this one, inklings adjacent, but not necessarily directly directly discussing them. So yeah, stay tuned. Thank you all for listening. And again, Annika, Glencora, thank you both so much. And we'll see you all next time. The choice isn't really between stuff and people, but between giving and not giving. Even in A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge isn't condemned for being greedy so much as for being a miser. He wants to hoard his money. To spend it on gifts and receive gifts in turn is to become vulnerable to others and to spend time and resources on relationships rather than self-determination. Now Scrooge has a literary ancestor named Haramold in the poem Beowulf. He is a king everyone in the poem knows about who once, before Beowulf's time, refused to give and came to a bad end as a result. After young Beowulf risks his life for King Hrothgar, and Hrothgar gives him lots of presents, Hrothgar tells him not to be like Harumod, who hoarded his treasure rather than giving it out freely. In Beowulf, and generally speaking in all pre-modern cultures, gifts were a kind of insurance. Kings gave out gifts to their subjects in order to ensure that when they really needed their subjects to step up, say in war or in the, it turns out, very likely event of a monster attack, those subjects would recall how readily they received treasures from their lords and do their part. And this, of course, raises modern eyebrows. Wait a minute, we say. So the kings who gave stuff away weren't really any different from Scrooge or Haramode, just smarter. They were all just looking out for themselves, right? I mean, it's just as selfish to give stuff away so that people will stand by you when you need them as it is to refuse to give stuff away. But that misses the point. It's not a question of being selfish or not, but rather a question of having a happy human life within a society that functions as it should. And a happy society, where people are in dynamic and meaningful relationship with each other, is characterized by giving. When he receives treasures from King Hrothgar, which were themselves gifts to Hrothgar at some point, Beowulf goes home and straightaway gives them to his own liege lord, King Hulak. The point seems to be, as much as possible, to keep treasure circulating like blood being pumped by a heart. Beowulf and other Old English poems are unapologetic about their desire for treasures because treasures and gifts are the farthest thing in the world from cold hard cash or a number in a bank account. Instead, they are a glimmering symbol of communal life, intricately made, and reflecting equally intricate layers of relationships and story. 
Even shrewd giving, the kind recommended by the poem, is harder than keeping treasure for oneself because it requires trust. The people you give your stuff to may actually fail you in the day of battle, as Beowulf's own subjects do when he goes to fight a dragon in his old age and they chicken out. Or, to make this just a tad more applicable, others may not appreciate the gifts we give them. They may even take us for granted, and that is okay. The point is not that they appreciated it. The point is that they are worth it. The point, moreover, is that you have received more than you yourself can ever be properly thankful for. Everything you have is pure gift. And so we celebrate Christmas over 12 days in order to learn to give and receive just a little better. If it's a spiritual discipline, it's not a very taxing one. Christmas becomes less about acquisition and more about this basic human activity as we give and receive in the context of relationship, remembrance, and worship. Occasionally, we run out of gifts, it is 12 days after all, and search for something else to give, an hour of quality time, a poem, a handicraft, an IOU, a song. And it matters what we give, but not as much as the giving, or even the ability to graciously receive a better gift than we gave. Through it all, we are attending to each other, practicing gratitude and generosity, and rarely getting it quite perfect, but coming nearer all the while to the source. There exists, in every moment, a shimmering web of gift, shining most intensely between family and friends, but connecting all of humanity across all time and space, and ultimately tying us back to the God who became man at Christmas, who gave us all things, including himself, and who told us, freely you have received, freely give. encounter full of joy and scheduled on a decent plan with here an addict of Tolkien there a Charles Williams fan